Welcome to Bath and Body Parts. I'm Melanie. And I'm Cassie. We're here to help you relax and unwind. It's time for candles, bubbles, wine, and of course, a tale of true crime. So go on, soakers. Settle into the tub. Let your muscles relax and your heart race as we dive into Bath and Body Parts. On October 28, 2007, Tom Morphy got a phone call from his stepbrother, Drew Peterson. He wanted to meet up with him and grab a cup of coffee. Now, this was a little bit out of character. Tom had a history of problems, drugs, alcohol, and it was actually usually him reaching out to Drew for help. But of course, he met up with him, eager to find out what he needed and offer his help. They went to Starbucks and chatted about life for a bit. Then Drew said, I need something. Hmm. Drew told Tom that his wife, Stacy, was leaving him again. He had a habit of saying that she always did this whenever she was on her period. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, just uh, put a pin in that and remember that one because it's going to come yeah. up again. Yeah. <laughs> but then Drew took the conversation a step further. He told Tom that Stacy was cheating on him. He said that she was becoming a problem. A problem that needed to be disposed of, which is like the most stereotypical, creepy thing to say straight out of a murder mystery. That is a criminal line right there. A problem to be disposed of. Yeah. And it kind of blows my mind that he said this in real life, but he did. Yeah. Drew dropped Tom off at a park and handed him his phone. And he gave him instructions not to answer it, no matter who called, and not to use the phone to call anyone else. Then Drew left. After a little while, the phone rang. It was Stacy. Tom didn't answer, just as he had been told. And about an hour after Drew left, he returned to pick up Tom. Tom said to him, Stacy called. And Drew said, I know. (laughs) You did good. (laughs) Weird. It's so weird. He's a weirdo. Drew dropped Tom back off at his house, but a few hours later, he called him again and said he needed help again. Tom had been, at this point, drinking and gearing down for bed, but he went over anyway to see what Drew needed. Drew told him that Stacy was out with her sister, despite the fact that both cars were in the driveway, but Tom shrugged it off. Drew led him to the bedroom where there was a large, sealed, blue plastic barrel waiting by the bed. Normal bedroom accessories. Yeah. Totally normal. I have three <laughs> right now. By my <laughs> Drew told Tom it was chlorine and that some guy wanted to buy it. Drew just needed help getting it to his car. Hmm. And keep in mind, this is like late at night. This is like bedtime. So a little <laughs> weird. But, you know, I mean, as I think most of us would do if, if our step sibling or sibling asked for help it's easy to dismiss the weirdness. And so Tom helped Drew move the barrel and he didn't ask questions, but still a pit started forming in his stomach. Something just wasn't right about this. Why was Drew moving the barrel so late at night? Who needed chlorine that badly at that time of day? And why was the chlorine in the bedroom to begin with? But most glaringly, where was (laughs) Stacy? 
we're going to come back to that night later. But for now, we need to dive back into Stacy's life and tell you how she wound up paired with Drew in the first place. Stacy was born Stacy Kales into a home that was really rough. It was very far from stable. Uh, she had one sister die of SIDS and another died in a household fire. So a lot of really tragic things early on. And her mom would often disappear, sometimes even leaving for weeks on end. And then one day when Stacy was 14, her mom left to go to church and just never came back. And that, you know, and I read that, I was like, they always say like, oh, my dad went out for a pack of cigarettes and 17 years later, he never, you know, he never showed up. Yeah. But going to church, mm, interesting. So after that, Stacy had to live with her dad. And he was unreliable as well, always drinking and doing drugs. And he would also disappear and leave the kids alone. Stacy and her brother and her sister never told anyone about this because they were terrified of being separated. Ugh. And that is so sad to me. It's so, so sad to think <sighs> of these kids just fending for themselves for sometimes yeah. up to weeks on end. Yeah. And, and this kind of thing happens. And yeah. It's just crushing to me. And the fear of being separated is what keeps them from going to anybody for help. Yeah. And that just ugh, breaks my heart. When she was in high school, Stacy went to live with her older half-sister, Tina. And, you know, despite her hard life, Stacy wasn't a hardened person. She was very soft and full of optimism and kindness. Family was really important to her, and she tried to stay connected even when things were tough. She was especially close to Tina, along with her sister, Cassandra, and her aunt. Her brother, Yelton, had turned into like a really bad guy. He was repeatedly in jail for sexual assault. But whenever he was out, Stacy still tried to get him back on his feet. And like, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Ooh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm glad that I don't have to think about that. And now, yes. But, oh, yeah. I don't know sorry. how I would react to that. She was just, you know, she was really like this loving beam of light for her family. And I think that she you know, she was a really special person. She could have turned out and gone down a much different type of path and lived a different type of way. But she seemed like she was really a positive, optimistic person. She was. And she was this kind of center for her family. And the fact that even from this chaotic background, she was still so intrinsically involved with all of them. Right. Is really, it, it speaks a lot to her character because not that I'm saying you should stay with toxic people, but she found good in them, even where other people wouldn't have seen yeah. the good, which I think is special in a way too. Yeah. Not, I mean, like, don't be naive, of course. Sure. But I think that there's something really powerful in the way that she was able to connect with her family still. Now, when Stacy was 17 years old, she got a job working the night shift in a hotel as a desk clerk. And that's where she met Drew Peterson. Drew Peterson was 47 years old. So that's a 30, 30 year age difference. That's a 30 year age difference with a teenager. Yeah. She was 17 years old. Yeah. <laughs> he was a police sergeant. So just go ahead and take that on too. So <laughs> there's an added layer. What? There. <laughs> And he lived in Bolingbrook, Illinois. That's where he was, a police sergeant with the Bolingbrook Police Department. And he also worked the night shift. 
Now, he started hanging around Stacy all the time. And he would later say that his partner was trying to start a romance with another employee at the hotel. So they would just show up together. And that's kind of how he connected with Stacy. So I guess the police had nothing better to do with their time than to try to date hotel employees while on patrol. Right. And like... <laughs> When I think of places that like people go to pick people up, I would never think that you're going to a hotel to pick up the people that work there at the <laughs> like, hotel. And like, this isn't a nice, super fancy hotel. This is just right. like a teensy tiny little hotel. Yeah. And they're coming all the time. Yeah, it seems very odd that they're both trying to date hotel employees <laughs> while on the job. Right. Now... At the time that she met Drew, Stacy was very casually seeing someone named Keith Rosetto, who was a nurse, but it wasn't very serious. And he was also going into the military and it was already kind of fizzling. And it didn't take long for Drew to woo Stacy. Now, how he managed to do this, I can't tell you. And I will <laughs> never know because no. I, I really want you guys to hear this, Soakers. Drew was not like an older silver fox, okay? No. He was just a creepy dude 30 years older than her who was straight up not attractive. Like, I have joked before that if I ever found myself in a place where I was single again, I would increase my age limit of like the men that I would date to like no more than double my age. So a 30 year age difference could happen, but that would be like with a really handsome, like really put together, sexy silver fox right. guy. This is not George that Clooney. Is, no, is this, this is pretty far away from that. Like you guys need to look him up. Because yes. he is not a good looking not guy. Not at all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he showered her with attention and gifts. He bought her a car and set her up in an apartment. And I think for Stacy, who had never had stability or dependability, Drew must have seemed like something special. I guess if you could look past his face. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he was a guy with a steady job and he was taking care of her and she yeah. didn't have that. Oh, and he was a family man too. And by that, I mean, he already had a family, including a wife. <sighs> now, I'm guessing you guys have already picked up on this. I don't like Drew Peterson. No. I'm going to go ahead and say I hate him with like a fiery passion <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it's really interesting because I think about this all the time like all the time I'm mm -hmm. obsessed with how much I hate him yeah and we research a lot of really heinous criminals right yes and, yes you know there are a lot of quote worse criminals that have done sure more heinous crimes or you know killed more people or done these like yeah drastic things and I don't know what it is about him that I detest so it's like much. I think it's a combination of his personality which we'll get into oh, about yeah. the way that he acts but also like his face <laughs> to really me, like his he face. looks to me like the Charlotte's Web original movie, like <laughs> Templeton as a person, would have his face. 
<laughs> like, he but looks Chip like Chip was like chubby. Yeah, <laughs> and like not that really there's a... anything wrong with any, no, any weight, but no, like, no, no, no. Just like, to clarify, it, but his rat face. It's, and he has a rat like, face. That's the thing. A, it's not even that he's out of shape. It's face. not even that he's no. Old. It's like he has a rat face, and it's his personality just makes him look even worse. Like so, he's bad. just. But I agree. Like. I was thinking about it and I was like, well, there are other people who we've talked about on our episodes or like people that we're going to talk about later. I think it's because they're so bad, right? Like they're so right. evil. Like they're monsters, right? It's easy to say like, yes, they're a monster. But this is just a normal dude. This is a yes. normal dude who had a normal job and ends up being like the most just idiotic, terrible, gross, creepy. Yeah. It's all, all that bad stuff. Ugh. So we're going to step back and talk about Drew. At the time that he had met Stacy, Drew was married to his third wife. He had actually married his first wife, Carol, who was his high school sweetheart, two years after they graduated high school. And they had two sons together. And Carol said that their marriage was pretty normal. But Drew did have one big flaw in Carol's eyes. And that's aside from his rat face. It was... (laughs) It was that he could not keep it in his pants. And when she found out that he was cheating, they got divorced. And then he became briefly engaged to another woman, but that one didn't pan out. And later he married his second wife, Victoria, who had a daughter from her previous marriage. And this is the marriage where we start seeing Drew's really dark side. He was very controlling, angry, and abusive. He would tell Victoria that he could kill her And make it look like an accident. That's the type of person we're talking about here. And it's just gross. He's on a constant power high. Yes. And of course, you know, he cheated on her. And so she finally wanted out of the marriage as well. That's when he decided to marry his mistress, Kathleen Savio. Kathleen didn't know he was married when they started dating, but she fell hard for him. And by the time that she found out he was married, she didn't really care. And again, I don't know how Kathleen was falling so hard for him because like we said, he wasn't good looking or have a good personality at all. I know. Like, <laughs> he's always got someone on the side. And I'm yeah. like, how? Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. get it. Drew and Kathleen had two sons together, Christopher and Thomas. And Kathleen had caught Drew cheating on her before, but had intervened and scared the young mistress away. And like, I don't know how that scene played out, but I would be so scared if I was the mistress of someone and then that wife comes in and like, I, yeah, I, mm -mm, mm -mm. And I want to say she Mm -mm. like called her to the house or something, if I recall, right? And so it was very intense. Yeah, that sounds like a crazy situation for sure. And then, you know, after that, along came Stacy. And just to continue with things being terrible, because picking up with someone 30 years younger than you, who is 17 Mm -hmm. years old, isn't bad enough. Mm -hmm. A teenager. A teenager. So gross. Stacy and Drew were not at all discreet with their affair. Drew would sneak her into the basement of his house while his wife and kids were asleep upstairs so they could have sex. No, no. Ew. No. That is so bad. So gross. 
That's so bad. But he's probably, it's probably because he's also so cheap that he doesn't even want to spend money on a hotel room. I think it might even just be that he likes the power of doing that because that's the kind of person that he is. Now he told Stacy that he and Kathleen were just living together because they were working on their divorce and neither of them could afford to move because of course he told her that. But that was far from the truth. I feel like they always say that too. Like, exactly. Well, we're just living together. It's like we're we're sleeping in separate beds. We're doing, you know, but that's never, it's never true. Oh, They yeah. just want to make it seem like it's not so bad that they're doing what they're doing. They're Absolutely. trying to talk themselves out of the guilt. And he's totally preying on her being young and naive. Actually, later on, after they're already far involved and engaged and she's already pregnant she tells her friend her really good friend Sharon this story about how he had said that they were just living together and the friend was like oh I bet he also told you that they hadn't had sex in ages right and she was like how did you know that yeah and that story just kind of crushes me because I'm like, she's yeah. so naive. Like she doesn't, yeah. she's so young. She's just 17 years old. She doesn't realize that that's what they all do. Like, Ugh. oh, so sad. So Drew proposed to Stacy while he was still married and she was just <laughs> 17 years old. And then Kathleen received an anonymous note tipping her off about the affair, which is very weird to me. And we still do not know who sent that note and I find it very strange yeah but of course Kathleen was crushed angry and humiliated and she kicked him out and that's when they actually started their divorce proceedings for real like not a lie yeah (laughs) Drew moved with Stacy into a house on the same street just 500 yards away (laughs) from where Kathy was living This is what we're talking about, where this is like a specific type of terrible person. Who does this? No, like who? Nobody. Did you ever watch The Little Rascals? Oh my gosh, I've seen it like once or twice a long time ago. (laughs) They have like a note. It's like a fake note in the movie, Uh but uh, it gets like reported to this other girl that Alfalfa has written her this note. It's like... I hate your stinking guts. You make uh, me vomit. You are the scum between my toes. Yes. <laughs> like that's the note that's, that I would yes. write to Drew Peterson. Yes. yes. Now, Stacy was pregnant by the time she was 18 years old. And since Stacy was pregnant and so young, the judge actually granted Kathy and Drew a bifurcated divorce, which means that they were allowed to immediately end the marriage, but that they had to deal with the finances and property split later on their own terms. Wow. I've never heard of that before, but that, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess it's very unusual. I've also never heard of it. On October 18th, 2003, eight days after his divorce to Kathy, Stacy and Drew got married. Eight days? Eight days. And soon after, their first baby, Anthony, was born. And this meant that Stacy had to step right out of being a kid to being a mom, not just to Anthony, but also to Christopher and Thomas, who were with Drew half the time. And as if that wasn't tough enough, Drew made it tougher. He pressured her to get a tummy tuck, liposuction on her legs, and a boob job, acting like he was so gracious and generous for paying for these things. And, like, I just want... 
to remember what he looks like, yeah. right? Like, He's got rat face, so if anyone yeah, needs some so surgery. rat face is telling this 18-year-old girl that she needs liposuction. <laughs> oh, oh. She's really, like pretty cute and young, yes like really cute girl. girl and oh I just feel so bad for her when they went in for the consultation for her boob job she told the doctor that she wanted a C cup but he tried to push the doctor for a double D instead Ew. he's not the one that's gonna have to deal with the back problems exactly Jeez. and the doctor thankfully refused Ugh. but that wasn't all that our dear Drew was up to on top of that he was following Stacy everywhere Stacy made a good friend, their neighbor, Sharon Bykowski, and Sharon said that any time they were out, no matter where they went, if they were shopping, Drew would suddenly be there. No matter where they went, he just showed up. And at first, Sharon thought he was, like, worried about the money. Oh, yeah. Like, if you're going out shopping, I'm going to get, like, watch how much stuff you get. Right. And she thought it was creepy, but she thought it was more on the financial side. But she came to realize that it was actually just him being super controlling all the time. No matter where Stacy went, he called her all the time. And he knew where she was at every waking moment, which is very important to the way that the story falls out. So remember yeah. that. Ugh, that's so scary. That's so scary. In the meantime, you know, his divorce was going about as well as you could expect it to go when you move 500 yards away from your ex with the woman that you cheated on her with. Um, Over the next two years, there were 17 domestic incidents involving Drew, Kathleen, Stacy, or some combination of those three. 17 in two years. That's a lot. The chaos came from both sides when it came to the children. Like, they would often escalate fights if the other was running late to return the kids, even if it was just a few minutes. So, you know, it's that's a tricky situation, but I feel like everybody is feeling heightened and, like, on edge. Right? And I Nobody's- think, to a degree, they're all wrong here in terms of... These kids sure. don't deserve this, you know? Yes. And Oh, for sure. I think it, it was just a really bad situation because I'm sure Kathy had very negative feelings towards Stacy and certainly yes. towards Drew. And I do think that they use the kids in the custody to kind of lash out at each other for yeah. sure. And that should never happen. That should never happen. In March of 2002, Kathleen filed for an order of protection against Drew. She said that she believed he was going to kill her. She told the police that he was abusive for their entire marriage. She said that he would often restrain her, push her, hit her, everything. And this wasn't coming out of nowhere. Kathy had actually been in the hospital by Drew's hands before, just one year into their marriage. And at the time, she was taken into the ER. She said she had been hit in the head by Drew with a dining room table. What? Oh my gosh. That's... That's severe. scary. That's yeah. scary and intense and not good. Possibly fatal. I mean, my goodness. After that, she never reported any abuse, but she often did confide to her friends and family that she was terrified of him. And like that, I cannot imagine someone that I cared about or someone in my family like saying they were terrified of their spouse. That's a that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare, you know? It's so sad. And to hear her sister talk about it Ugh. after the fact is really, really hard. 
Because she would even, she would call her sister and tell her that Drew was hitting her. But Drew would even take the phone away from her and tell the sister that everything was fine and then hang up. So her family was very concerned, but nobody knew what to do. And like, I understand that side of it too. You know, like you're, you're concerned, but like, what do you do? Right. And Kathy was just caught up in this abuse cycle and never tried to leave. And once they got divorced, things escalated into pretty much constant chaos. Kathy dropped the order of protection pretty quickly and Drew called her lawyer and convinced him to talk her out of it because as part of the order of protection, he couldn't have a gun, which is what he needed for his job. So she agreed to drop it. And, And like, he's a police officer and just hearing about all of these things that he's been doing, like, that's not the type of person that I would want, like, protecting my city, you know? No, not at all starts with him going and hanging out around like preying on a 17 year old girl right right right. and then it's this and even so the fellow police officers in town do end up really taking these things seriously later on and they have a big problem with him but even at the time it was a big deal that he was engaged to a 17 year old And they did an internal investigation to see if there was anything they could do, but Mm. it wasn't against the law. Yeah. And I think that even his fellow police officers knew he was not a good guy, even through all of this. And yet we do see report after report after report here in these domestic arguments come out. 17 domestic incidents in two years. That is a lot. That is a lot. To be fair, they're not all against About him. Right. But... But they're getting called to that street all the time. Yes. And I just, I wish that something more had been done. Yeah. And so we're going to walk you guys through some of these 17 domestic incidents. In February of 2002, the police were called for, at that point, mostly arguments escalating kind of into yelling and things like that. In April, Kathy went to Drew's house and started removing stuff from his truck. So that was another report filed. On May 3rd, Kathy hit Drew, pushed him, and spat on him. This was the only time she ever got physical toward him, and he chose not to file charges. At one point, Kathy reported that her house had been broken into and that several items were taken, including some jewelry and a video camera. And soon after that, Drew and Stacy showed up at Kathy's house with the kids in the car. Stacy got out of the car and started filming Kathy with her own video camera that had been stolen from her house. Oh, yeah, that would have hmm. that would have enraged yeah. me. So Kathy freaked out, understandably, and she tried to grab the video camera and Stacy started screaming and saying, you know, you hit me. And Drew arrested Kathy, claiming that she had punched Stacy in the face. Dang. Kathy was charged with battery, but she was later acquitted and the charge was actually expunged, partly due oh. to testimony from the kids. And Drew always maintained that Kathy had convinced the boys to lie in order to get this charge dropped. Oh, yikes. Yeah. In July of 2002, Kathy reported that Drew broke into her home and held her captive, pinned her against the stairs for several hours, and that he told her that she should just die. Mm. In December, Kathy sent a letter to Stacy telling her not to trespass on the property or that she would call the police. Eventually, however, things started to settle down, 
especially as the financial side of the divorce started to get worked out. And I'm sure that that was, you know, adding this extra level of pressure and stress for everybody. So you can see that that would kind of help things calm down. Definitely. Um, Kathy was set to get the house, half of Drew's pension, and half of other marital property, along with child support. Kathy had also started dating someone new and was moving on. So this was looking like it was the beginning of the end of this chaotic time. And I think that up until this point, there definitely was the financial side. And now that's starting to sort of flatten out. But I think Kathy also still really was in love with Drew. And everything was so fresh and raw. And But by this point, she is dating someone new who she's serious about. And it seems like maybe she's getting herself kind of out of that. And so things are starting to calm down. Because if you're feeling lonely and like abandoned on top of all of that and they're rubbing it in your face, like by living on the same street as you, you don't really have a break like to kind of get away from that. So she did seem like she was, you know, happy. But in the last weekend of February 2004, shortly before the court date to settle everything officially, Drew arrived at Kathy's house to drop off the kids as planned. However, Kathy didn't answer the door. Drew took the kids home with him, but the next day, March 1st, he went back while he was on duty and tried the door again. When Kathy didn't answer, he tracked down two neighbors. And he said that he didn't want to go into the house because of all the police issues and, you know, that he was worried about Kathy. So the neighbors entered the house and found Kathy dead, naked in an empty bathtub. Now, the city police didn't want to touch this case because of Drew's involvement. So they immediately passed it off to the state police who started their investigation. And the crime scene technician immediately went in with the mindset that this was an accidental death, that Kathy had fallen in the bathtub and drowned, and that the water had since drained out of the tub. Her hair was wet and her skin was still pruned, and there was a cut on the back of her head along with several bruises. The police questioned Drew, and they also questioned Stacy, with Drew present at his own insistence, and Stacy did provide him an alibi. But, like, why was he insisting that he was part of her questioning? He said she was just nervous and that she needed him there. But he was mm. literally finishing her sentences for her. And it was apparently very creepy. <gasps> no, not good at all. Now, this case was handled a little bit unusually in that they held a coroner's inquest. And this is basically a court investigation where the jury determines the cause of death based on evidence presented to them. And that they, is so interesting to me. I had not I heard of this. I have never heard of this. It's very unusual. I don't think that it happens very often. They can choose natural causes, suicide, homicide, accidental death, or undetermined. So those are their five choices in this situation. Okay. And it is important to note that it's not a legal ruling. The jury could say homicide or accidental death or whatever. The police can Mm -hmm. still have their own investigation. So it doesn't inherently close the case. But it is often used to determine the fate of an investigation. Okay. And as I said, these are not very common at all, but they are sometimes used in sudden or unexplained deaths. At the inquest, the state police had Representative Special Agent Hardy serve as their point person to present their findings and evidence. 
But Hardy hadn't attended the autopsy. He hadn't visited the scene of the death. He hadn't met with the family. Apparently, he had met with some neighbors, but they were like obscure neighbors that were not even close to the family. (laughs) Like, (laughs) have y'all seen this person before in your life? Okay. I'll take it. (laughs) Very (laughs) odd. And he testified that there were no signs of foul play and that everything seemed normal. In the autopsy, they said that there was a laceration on her head, but that all the bruises were old. And these, quote, old injuries included a red abrasion on her butt, abrasions on her wrist, elbow, and finger, bruises on each shin, a bruise on the back of her thigh, and three bruises on her abdomen. That's a lot of bruises. As someone who is super prone to bruising and also very clumsy, that is a shit ton of bruises. Yeah. Like I bruise very easily and like I'll bump into something and I'll have a bruise. Like I currently have three, but like I would never have that many at one time that were noticeable. Very unusual. Her talk screen was clean. There was fluid in her lungs and... That was how the autopsy fell out. So they were taking the stance that this was an accidental drowning of a grown woman in her own bathtub. With all those bruises. With all of the bruises. And old injuries. Mm -hmm. Kathy's family came forward in the inquest to plead for them to take a closer look. They said that Kathy had been terrified of Drew and that Kathy had told them specifically before she died, if I die, it may look like an accident, but it wasn't. It was Drew. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine being in Kathy's family and having her say those words, if I die, it might look like an accident, but it wasn't. It was him. Like, oh my gosh. I would never be able to sleep again. That would give me nightmares. Horrible. Horrible. The jury also heard how Kathy stood to get so much in the divorce and how the proceedings were just a few weeks away. And to complicate the financial aspect even more, Drew was supposed to be the executor of Kathy's will because they had never updated that. I mean, the divorce was still kind of recent. And there was also a life insurance policy that she had changed, but they don't believe that Drew knew that she had changed it. Okay. Now, because of the investigation, Drew didn't end up getting to be the executor of the will. It fell to the next person in line who was Drew's uncle. So not sure that's much better, but okay. Yeah. Yeah. And two weeks after Kathy was found dead, Drew produced a handwritten will out of nowhere Hmm. that he had forgotten about where they left everything to each other. So Drew ended up with all of Kathy's assets along with keeping everything that he would have had to give her if she Uh lived. And he just happened to forget where this handwritten will had been located until just now. Yes. And Kathy's divorce attorney testified at the inquest that Kathy had specifically told him there was no will. Hmm. But two of Drew's close friends said they witnessed them signing it. And somehow, after hearing all of this evidence... The jury ruled that Kathy's death was an accidental drowning and state police closed the case. They didn't (sighs) carry it any further after this. Uh, Yeah. mm, mm, mm. (laughs) Definitely have some thoughts there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you can hear 
all of that that you heard that she said (laughs) in her own words, if I die, it may look like an accident, but it wasn't. It was Drew. And then she drowns in her bathtub. Yep. What? Yep. Yeah, and you're like, no, nope, that sounds like an well, accident, all that. Yeah, all those bruises, no problem. No, 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 no problem. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit Patreon.com/slash Bath and Body Parts to learn more. And at this point, you know, life was going on for Drew and Stacy. Stacy soon gave birth to their second child, Lacey. And they also now had full custody of Christopher and Thomas. But it wasn't long until trouble started brewing on the home front. Eventually, Stacy confided in her neighbor and best friend, Sharon, that Drew was hitting her, breaking things, and threatening her. She grew increasingly more and more afraid of him. She even told Sharon that she was afraid that Drew would kill her and that if she went missing, it wasn't an accident. <sighs> then Stacy's half-sister, Tina, died, and she was absolutely devastated. That was her half-sister that she was really close to and lived with when she was growing up. Mm-hmm. At the funeral, Drew saw Stacy talking to Tina's husband, Jamie, and Drew accused Stacy of sleeping with Jamie. Like at the funeral. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stacy was furious, but this was the catalyst that she needed because now she was ready to leave. She told both Sharon and her aunt that she had planned to get a divorce and that she wanted to figure out a way to take all of the kids. Stacy contacted an old friend from high school, Scott Rosetto, who was a nurse. He was actually the brother of the nurse that she was casually dating when she met Drew. And she started texting him, you know, kind of casually at first and then some flirting and that escalated to some sexting. And she told him that she was planning to leave Drew. And they met up once at a Denny's. And while they were sitting together, Drew walked in in full uniform and sat down next to them. He's so creepy. Yeah, that... If I was Scott and Drew came in while I was sitting at the Denny's, I would be like shit in my pants. I would be so scared in his full uniform. Like, and he threatened Scott saying, what would you think if your wife was here meeting up with some guy? After that, despite Stacy's persistence, nothing happened with Scott. He was not about to get involved with the wife of a police officer who threatened him. And like, I get that. Oh, for sure. Stacy contacted an attorney to talk about divorce. And when they were discussing things, Stacy blurted out, can I get more money if I tell them how Drew killed Kathleen? Oh. And this wasn't the only person that she told this story to. She also contacted her minister, Neil Shorey, asking him if they could meet up and talk. He had counseled both her and Drew separately and together in the past. They met up at a Starbucks and Stacy told him a haunting story. And that, Soakers, is where we're going to end today's episode. Next time, we'll hear what Stacy told Neil about Drew, what she had kept hidden, and ultimately the events that led to her disappearance. 
If you're a patron, you can go ahead and listen to part two right away. Otherwise, tune in with us next week to hear the rest of the tale. Until then, self-care for the best, prepare for the worst, but most importantly, take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time on Bath and Body Parts. If you'd like to support the podcast and get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more.